Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you, dear listeners. Uh, my name is Khalid Banu, and today's show will be presented by myself and Imam Shazeb Atar. The two topics we shall be discussing this morning uh, are, are namely, first one is entitled Fashion Footprint What is it and what's the impact? And uh, the second topic we shall be discussing is entitled Alcohol-Related Deaths on the Rise. So those are the two topics of the morning. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions or feedback, please do give us a ring on 0208-687-7878. Please do not feel shy. Pick up the phone and give us a ring and share us with us your opinions and your views on the topics that we're talking about. Or if you want to talk about uh, another related matter, please do. Now, um... The weather is looking nice and shiny this morning, but there is uh, due to be quite um, heavy rain. So let's see what the weather has in store for us. So this morning it says that there'll be more unsettled and cloudier weather, although some sunshine too, uh, uh, particularly across southern eastern areas of the UK, will, will remain hot. There will be some showers and thunderstorms turning more widespread by the afternoon, and though some parts escaping later on it will be less hot for many feeling cool uh, and wetter in the northern areas tonight the outlook there will be some thundery showers easing slowly across england and wales although some persisting uh, possibly turning heavier again later scotland sees more general rain uh, across northern ireland and mostly lighter but it will be still relatively warm the outlook for tuesday for tomorrow uh, the tuesday uh, the 16th of august uh, in Scotland and Northern Ireland, it will be often cloudy, uh, but the rain will be mainly across Scotland, uh, and that should ease later on. There will be some sunny intervals in the northwest also. Elsewhere, there will be heavy showers and thunderstorms, which may produce torrential downpours, and it will be uh, feeling a lot uh, less warm. So the outlook for today, for Monday and Tuesday, there will be... Um, yellow weather warnings in force for the UK. Let's have a look for Wednesday. So for Wednesday, 17th of August up to Friday, the 19th of August, up to the end of the week, it says that there will be some heavy showers and thunderstorms across the south uh, on Wednesday, and it will be drier further north. Most places will be dry on Thursday, but there will be rain moving from the northwest, clearing southeast, and on Friday there will be some sunny spells and it will feel a lot cooler than recently. So now let's look, have a look at some of the headlines in the papers. So according to the <clears throat> BBC website, bbc.co.uk, <clears throat> one of the principal headlines is that there will be flush flood warnings as the heat wave ends. So I know lots of people are feeling really, really hot in this weather. Uh, so please stay uh, cool and drink lots of water and uh, please look after yourselves but um, there will be some heavy rain coming at some point uh, so one of the other headlines um, on the BBC website going through the papers we have um, in the I newspaper it says that Sunak and Trust under pressure to cut the price cap the Tory leadership contenders excuse me face growing calls to propose reforms to energy price caps as Treasury creates new blueprint to cut £400 million for bills this winter. 
Labour leader Keir Starmer also pledges to save thousands a year by freezing energy wheels with £29 billion pounds planned funded by extending the windfall tax. Uh, poll reveals that Rishi Sunak is running out of time to close the gap with Liz Truss. In the Metro newspaper, again, we're talking about uh, a freeze on these uh, energy price increases. And the, uh, there's a head title there which says freeze. And basically that says that Sakir Stammer throws down the gauntlet by promising to block rise in energy bills. And again, like I mentioned, he said that there'll be, or there's a plan for £29 billion plan aimed at trumping any offers from Tory leadership rivals. In the mirror, um, it says that there's be a heatwave UK in the UK. Um, once that's uh, that's nearly finished, so we would now face some storms. Um, another headline in the Daily Mirror says that there'll be um, freeze cruel bills now. So hard-hit families should not pay any, not a penny more at schools for a four-day week. So Keir Summer has told the Mirror the country faces a national emergency due to rising fuel bills. The Labour leader wants the energy price cap frozen to stop it rising to £3,600 in October. He said, I know how badly this will uh, hit millions of families in the autumn. Turning to the Times, um, it says that three in four Tory voters back Labour's energy plan. So Sakir so, so Starmer sets up £29 billion proposal to freeze bills for six months. That's again a repetition of what was said earlier. Um, in the Daily Express, the headline is that Radical Trust Vows to Reform Crisis Britain. So Liz Trust vows to severe, sever Britain's growing dependence on crisis handouts with her radical plan to boost the economy. Looking at some other newspaper headlines, in The Guardian, it says that um, Indonesians on UK farms um, face risk of debt bondage. So fruit pickers struggle to pay huge fees charged by unlicensed brokers. So Indonesian labourers picking berries on a farm that supplies Marks and Spencer's, Waitrose, Sainsbury's and Tesco say they have been saddled with debts of up to £5,000 by unlicensed foreign brokers to work in Britain for a single season. Pickers at the farm in Kent were initially given zero-hour contracts and at least one was paid less than £300 a week after the cost of using a caravan was deducted, according to payslips and other documents seen as part of a Guardian investigation. So the fees they pay to secure work include flights and visas, but multiple labourers said they also um, face thousands of pounds in extra charges from Indonesian brokers who promise substantial earnings uh, under UK employment law. It is illegal to charge workers fees for finding them jobs. One worker described how he st um, staked his family home in Bali as surety on the debt and fears losing it. And he says that now I'm working hard only to pay back that money. He said, I cannot sleep sometimes. I have a family who need my support to eat. And meanwhile, I think about the debt. Uh, turning to another newspaper, the Daily Telegraph, it says that um, 
the title here says that prepare to be disappointed with uh, A-levels, people's talk. So there'll be a crackdown on grade inflation. We'll see many miss out on university university places, the regulator says. And turning to the Daily Mail, it says, pupils face toughest university scramble in decades. School leavers face double heartbreak this week as tens of thousands are expected to lose their university place, then struggle to fi- find a replacement. So analysis by the Daily Mail shows competition to snap up clearing courses on A-level results and will be the fiercest it has been in years, with some predicting the worst squeeze in living memory. Figures reveal the number of last-minute courses available at elite Russell Group universities has halved in just two years. It means that those who fail to achieve the grades needed for their first-choice course are likely to be disappointed again when they try to find an alternative. Alan Smithers, Professor of Education at Buckingham University, said... It will be one of the most competitive years and probably the most competitive year ever. And in the Financial Times, um, the headline there is that the US lawmakers call for Trump security threat assessment. So the FBI search deepens um, and there's a divide in the party uh, political um, groups there in uh, America. Imam Atar, Assalamualaikum. Waalaikumsalam. How's it going, Imam uh, Khalid Son? <laughs> uh, thank you. By the grace of Allah, fine. Uh, it's another beautiful day, but um, like I was uh, saying earlier in mm. the weather report, we're looking for. We're expecting showers now. I said yes, some heavy thunderstorms as well. And I guess the water companies will have some sucker um, because they've been telling everybody to make sure that they, you know, don't use their. Um, Mm. Pipes and the, the the hose pipes. And That's right. Yes, they're at sixty percent. So hopefully, yeah, we'll see some um, showers later on the week or even today. Mm. And um, that reminds me of mm. the football um, mm. because of the lush green grass pitches that we've seen. Yes, and yesterday's match was amazing between a. Uh, Chelsea and Tottenham. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you got the chance to watch it, but um, mm. incredible scenes, and mm. it, it felt as if it was some form of a. Um, you know, final or something or other because <laughs> of the uh, the animosity between yeah. the two um, London teams. Yeah, uh, it's incredible. Um, you know, first Chelsea was leading one 0 Yes, and it was one one. <laughs> then it was two one to Chelsea, and right at the last mm. second of uh, extra time, mm. sort of injury time, rather. You know, Tottenham score a header from um, you know, none other than Mr. Kane, Mr. Oh, Harry Kane. Oh wow, okay. <laughs> and the two managers, you know, going at one another. So it's. Uh, Great to see that sort of competitive spirit was in the <laughs> Premier League early on. I think, yes. this and I, he- I heard they both got red cards, right? Yeah, yeah, they both <laughs> got. I think one definitely got a red card. Mm. I'm not sure about um, mm. Tom Sukel, but mm. perhaps he got one too. Yeah, so it's uh, really interesting to see, mm. nonetheless. Um, and that swiftly brings me on to what's been happening in the news. I think a topic of discussion is, which we can certainly have, is the cost of living. And now, uh, there's two elements to this. Now, a lot of people say they're scaremongers, and others say that, you know, it is the reality that there is the cost of living on the rise. And the only factor which I've sort of read which has pushed everybody to speculate around Mm. an increase in prices is the war in Ukraine. Yes. And aside from that, there's hardly any sort of factors Mm. or what we can say is, you know, any um, 
uh, reasons as mm. to why things have gone up mm. and the, the predominant reason only being Ukraine mm. and that's why the you know the Bank of England has raised interest rates very recently and mm. you know will continue to do so not only the Bank of England really mm. other uh, banks across the world you know America yes. and others alike mm. and what we're finding now is that you know um, the energy prices are going to be raised most definitely and off gem the regulator mm. s- is saying that they instead of reviewing uh, prices after six months yes they may review them after three months so mm. it is a shame to see you know how we survived covid um you know which could be one of the hardest or most you know arduous um periods that mm. you know the nation has gone through where yes. cost of living was relatively mm. you know okay and the um mm. the overall shape of the economy was okay but mm. now we're, what we're finding is you know inflation in double figures yes and it's it's sort of bewildering to find that the only factor is ukraine mm. and before this nobody could have ever said that ukraine possesses such an influence on the global market mm. you know i'm sure a lot of us would be surprised to see how much export ukraine produces mm. i think or produce exactly i think the thing i remember was that um i remember when the initially people were talking about brexit and even before brexit had started yeah. lots of people were you know um migrating away from the uk and people other people were you know um looking for jobs abroad mm. and there was at some point where we were we were told that there was a shortage of our products on the shelves because of brexit yeah now and then then what happened of course was the pandemic and then you've got of course shops the, in between you had that yeah. hgv driver crisis exactly and that was blamed or partially blamed because of the lack of drivers yes. which were from parts of europe which couldn't travel and then a visa was given yes exactly as yeah. a response of 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 uh, the brexit issue yeah and then so like i said you like you said there's that 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 thing that incident and then there was of course the pandemic which mm. you know obviously lots of people didn't go to work because there was no work to go yeah. to and now and the economy was still okay yeah you know? yeah but i think you see each time there seems to be different incidents happening and then there's you know various sort of excuses or things are happening that affects us economically so mm. like i said there was brexit there was the hgv incident Mm. There was lockdown, and now there's this Ukraine. So it seems to be yeah, uh, one after another. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, each time it sees this, the only one person sort of suffering at the, uh, each time is just yeah. the, the common common person. Working yeah. class, the working yes, class yes. suffers always, unfortunately. Yeah. And um, those people that are on the borderline mm. of working class will mm. be pushed into the working class. And yeah, the government's given some relief, you know, mm. I don't know, universal credit or mm. um, whatever relief it is with regards to the energy. Mm. Um, but that would only do so much. And right now they're in the, they've got their own issues, you know, with the um, lead of the party. Um, he wants to be the new prime minister. Yes. Who's your money on, Khalid? Boy? I think um, it's going to go with Liz Trust. I think also. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think yeah, gone. And I was going to say no, no. We, no we, our views are our own. Well, mm. our own opinion. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I haven't got any sort of particular favorite. Uh, well, to be honest, I you know none of them are particularly uh, people that I would. Uh, choose anyway mm. but I think the money is on this trust uh, yeah the poll suggests that's what the poll suggests yeah. exactly yeah it's not something that I, I I'm i saying it's just like you said it was in the papers and yeah. she looks like she's like 22 points ahead of Rishi Sunak so 
let's see what happens. But what's also been mentioned in the papers is that even though she might become prime minister, it will look like they will, it will um, cause a early election. Mm. So that's one of the possible outcomes. Does she, if she were to become prime minister, so that's what she said. Or this is what the newspapers have been saying. Yes, okay, yeah, in the wider media. So mm. it'd be interesting to see what happens along there. You know, but hundred uh, percent. And the the very interesting mm. fact is that whenever these leadership contests come around, mm. the media it dishes out so many stories oh, that we've we never heard of. Yes, about these two <laughs> or whichever individuals it yes, may be about. Yes. And a couple of weeks back, I was reading an article about Liz Truss, mm. and I can't remember who was reporting on it, but a outlet was reporting on it and saying that perhaps in the early 2000s, mm. um, Liz Truss had an affair mm. with a senior Tory um, uh, MP. Oh, right. Okay. And it was just, you could see the whole article was questioning her integrity. Mm. And before this, it wasn't in the you know, public's knowledge. Mm. And I think that's why you can see from whenever these um, contest leaderships or leadership mm. contests rather come around, mm. these things pop up. Um, you know, very recently before the mm. the, the um, contest to this leadership, mm. you know, we knew about um, Richard Sunak's wife, <laughs> yes. and the Dom, whatever that was, yes. you know, not paying a tax on income from abroad. Yes, and so they say that discredited him a lot. Mm. You know, mm. the the chances that he potentially had were thrown away because of that so um yeah we'll hope and see you know whatever's best for the country mm. we pray that, oh, you know, of course that yes definitely yes we're always hoping and praying praying a lot to see yeah there's a it's good outcome and the, the person whoever they are yeah that's the best for the country yeah. this is funny though you know it's like um i remember years ago the fourth caliph the fourth global caliph of the community uh may i have mercy on him he said that you know the all these media outlets, they have lots of information yeah, yeah, yeah. and lots of data on, uh, about lots of different lots celebrities, of people, politicians, yeah. and yeah. whoever. And they choose at what point oh, exactly. to break the story, yeah. you know? Yeah. So if you go talk about different different things, different subjects, whatever it is, yeah. when something will arise, then you see the you know, news will come out from somewhere. This thing about Liz Trust, you know, I'm sure if if they were to scratch the surface of many of the oh yeah different just, people, yeah. whether in, uh, politicians or not, whoever you know, there's there's they lots to be it. found, you know. Yeah, because there's people willing to talk. Yes, um, yeah. and you know, there's an alternative motive there. Mm. And the interesting fact is that you know the media mm. knows its importance. Mm. It knows that it can sort of sway the lines or sway the balance. Yes, between whether people vote for a certain person or mm. not. And currently, I, our current prime minister, mm. God help him, mm. um, is in Greece. And then, then there's an article oh. saying that you know that's it's a on second, holiday. There's a second holiday, yeah, <laughs> when there's a cost of living crisis. So okay. there you have it, <laughs> in a nutshell. Oh, Bojo, excellent. Bojo, yeah. Yeah, you know, we could always trust Bojo to do. Uh, we can. <laughs> yeah. I think it was it September. Is he mm. here too? Well, God knows when. But yeah, oh, yeah. exactly. Um, so I was mentioning earlier about Liz Trust. So in the um, Reuters website it says like I was mentioning mm. that she's um, 22 points ahead in the race to become Britain's uh, next Prime Minister according to that uh, poll mm. it says Britain's Foreign Secretary Liz Truss is 22% percent, uh, excuse me percentage points ahead of her rival Rishi Sunak in the contest to become the country's next Prime Minister a poll of Conservative Party members 
by opinion research showed on Saturday. So among a sample of 450 party members who had decided um, how they would vote in the ongoing leadership election, but trust, uh, who other polls have also shown to be the clear f- uh, frontrunner on 61%, with former finance uh, minister Sunak on 39%. So it goes to, you know, like you said, yeah. I think she's going to, you know... Just page it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, the, the, the initial hmm. race, um, when it started, yes, Rishi Sunak was unbelievably ahead of everybody else. Yes. Um, and all of a sudden... Mm. the tables have turned mm. so yeah we can only wait and see what happens um, but yeah and yeah. we can only hope and pray yeah. you know whoever comes you know, exactly. takes the country to the next level and the next sort of greatness exactly yep, yep. that'll be interesting to see what happens there uh, but we should of course keep our listeners uh, updated with the, any information mm. we have right so the breakfast show runs from Monday to Friday from 7am to 9am uh, you can always call in on 0208-687-7878 you can also tweet us at Voice of Islam UK um, if you have any interesting news articles you'd like to discuss with us or something you'd like us to talk about on the radio please do give us a ring or contact us on the following method, uh, method uh, like I said by tweeting uh, today's show is presented by myself Khalid Banu and Imam Shazeb Attar the producer is Sibab Brehman and our researchers are Ruksana Nasir and Wajihar Haroon and we have Mr. Akib on tech support today we shall be taking a short break once we come back from our break we shall be discussing our first topic which is entitled Fashion Footprint what it is and what's the impact so please don't go anywhere three proofs of the truthfulness of the Prophet Messiah. One, in a hadith of the Holy Prophet of Islam وسلم, he has said that there will be two signs in the support of the Mahdi that have never occurred before since the creation of the heavens and the earth. These two signs are eclipses that would occur on very specific days during the month of Ramadan. In 1894, a few years after Hazrat Muzul Ghulam Ahmed made his claim of being the Prophet Messiah, India and the subcontinent were witnesses to an eclipse that had occurred on the first of the three days of the full moon and in Ramadan. In the following year, in 1895, the USA had witnessed an eclipse that had occurred on the second of the three days of the full moon again in Ramadan. Now we know eclipses aren't something that can be man-made, nor is there any technology on the planet that could create such a spectacle. So this has to be the work of God. This is clear, undeniable evidence in support of the truthfulness of the promised Messiah. 2. Performing miracles is commonly associated with prophethood. Jesus is said to have healed the sick, Moses is said to have parted the sea, and Jonah is said to have survived the belly of the whale. On one occasion, during the time of the promised Messiah, there was one student named Abdul Karim who fell severely ill with rabies. Now at that time, there was absolutely no cure nor any medication that could heal Abdul Karim. So the promised Messiah prayed for the recovery of the student and Abdul Karim made a miraculous recovery. Now, without any human intervention, this can only be attributed to the work of God. A second miracle during the time of the Prophet Messiah is how he had perfected the Arabic language overnight. Now, how long would it take me or you to learn a language? Some years? Even people with degrees find it difficult to call themselves experts in the language. The promised Messiah received a revelation of 40,000 Arabic words overnight a language that is commonly known to be one of the most complicated languages in the world. 
This can again only be attributed to the work of God in support of the truthfulness of the Prophet Messiah. Three, we can see from the history of the prophets that they have always been victorious in their claims and their missions. Similarly, the promised Messiah has been victorious in his claims and his missions. The promised Messiah received a prophecy from God that I shall cause thy message to reach the corners of the earth. Now the promised Messiah received this prophecy in a rural village in India in Gardian, an unknown town to the world. Now we can see that a little over a hundred years later, his message and his claim has reached over 200 countries around the world. This is nearly every country on the planet. Now who can now say that his message has not reached the corners of the earth? These are clear proofs of the truthfulness of the Prophet Messiah. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you, dear listeners. Welcome back to this Monday's edition of The Breakfast Show. Today, Monday the 15th of August. So the first topic we are talking about is entitled Fashion Footprint, what it is and what's the impact. So the gist of the story is as follows. The BBC reports that the fashion industry is responsible for 8-10% of global emissions and some UK brands are investigated over claims about the sustainability of their fashion lines. Now this segment will explore the environmental impact of um, fast fashion and how clothes are linked to climate uh, climate change. Now, the article by Esme Stallard in the BBC News uh, reports on how clothes are linked to climate change and you know, talk about the fashion footprint. So the fashion footprint is the connection between manufacture of clothes and the use of resources to manufacture. Some UK brands are being investigated over claims about the sustainability of their fashion lines. What can be done to reduce the impact uh, wardrobe has on the environment? You know, um, it was sad the other day, um, or a few months back, I was watching this report on the news and it was saying how, you know, although, you know, people are, have been very generous and donated a lot of clothes to charity organizations here in the UK. What happens is eventually some of these clothes are filtered and sent across to different continents around the world. Mm. And one of the continents is Africa. And I saw this report that in a few countries in Africa, what happens is the clothes arrive there and you know, people use the clothes, but then there's some clothes that are so bad that they just have to throw them away. Mm. So unfortunately what's happening is that there's piles, and I'm literally talking about mountains, of piles of clothes that they can't use that just is you know, being dumped. And so what happens is to try and get rid of them. Some of them are trying to, sometimes they're trying to burn them, mm. but then that in itself causes a lot of A pollution. Yeah, pollution, yeah. you know? So this is, 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 is this is what, like I was saying, it's, it's fast fashion. Yeah. So it's, it's okay, like sometimes you know, people say, oh, you can get cheap and cheerful stuff, but that doesn't last. And then people just chucking things away. Yeah, no, you're right. Mm. And 
Yeah, the report here continues mm. and says that the continuous changing fashions and desires to replace clothes mm. is a contributory factor. So, exactly what you're saying. It's mm. a quick turnover of fashion trends. And what we do is, um, it's what a shame actually, you know, for mm. um, to sort of dump our problem onto a, you know, third world or in this case, third continent, mm. third world continent, really. Um, and it's having a huge impact on the environment you know the report suggesting it's between eight to ten percent you know mm. of global emissions and the impact is also producing um you know clothes which take up lots of resource you know raw materials yes, which yes. contribute to the environment issues and you know as we mentioned before you know the overall fashion industry is responsible for eight to ten percent of global emissions according to the united nations Mm. It's also just suggesting that the clothes, the global clothes sales could increase by 65% by 2030. And the cotton fashion uh, uses up to 2.5% of the world's farmland. So what is fast fashion, which we've referred to? Well, fast fashion describes how low-priced but stylish clothing that moves quickly from design to retail stores to meet trends with new collections being introduced continuously. Innovations in supply chain management among retailers make fashion fast possible. An approach to the design, creation and marketing of clothing fashions that emphasizes making fashion trends quickly and cheaply available to consumers. So it's in essence, it's cheap, trendy and disposable. And then the real question is, what is the fashion footprint and its impact? So just as we mentioned before, Mm. Um, basically using up resources in manufacturing of goods unnecessarily to create more clothes, keeping up with trends. Uh, the common objective raises the reality of fashion footprint impact on climate and suggests ways of reducing the impact. So limiting the damage from climate change requires cutting net greenhouse gas emissions to zero by 2050. And every industry has a part to play. Now, the fashion industry is responsible for around two to four percent of all man-made greenhouse gas emissions and that percentage is set to grow most emissions come from raw materials so improving the way we produce polyester and cotton could have a huge impact challenging the current fast fashion ethos of the industry is going to be essential in the light and indeed in the fight against global warming the fashion industry was responsible for 2.1 billion metric tons of GHG emissions in 2018, according to the uh, McKinsey Fashion on Climate Report. To put things in perspective, the annual greenhouse gas emissions of the fashion industry e equals the annual emissions from the economies of France, Germany, and the UK combined. That's so it's staggering. It is staggering. It? It's a great number. Mm. Um, and reaching net zero greenhouse gas emissions will require far reaching changes in human activity. Now that They've set the goal mm. for 2050. Yes. And, you know, it is a um, somewhat optimistic goal, which I personally think, because at the current rate, which we are going at, mm. you know, we haven't heard much. And now, you know, to be the devil's advocate, just because we haven't heard much mm. of a reducing mm. the amount of greenhouse gases that are being emitted doesn't necessarily mean that you know, they are being reduced. So... You know, that 2050 goal is somewhat seeing um, 
a bit too optimistic. Yes. Uh, the reality may be slightly different, but you know, um, yeah. changes could happen quickly, and uh, we can only hope and pray they do. Exactly. Yeah. I'm glad to say that we are joined this morning uh, by our first guest for this morning show. We have on the line with us Dr. Elaine Rich, who is a reader in fashion, marketing, and sustainability at Glasgow Caledonian University. Her co-edited book, New Perspectives in Critical Marketing and Consumer Society, was published in March 2021, and she is working on a new co-edited book uh, called Pioneering New Perspectives in the Fashion Industry, Disruption, Diversity and Sustainable Innovation, due to uh, to be published in January 2023. Asalaamu peace be upon you, and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us this morning, Dr. Rich. So please, could you tell us more about yourself and your um, research? Yes. Um, so I, my research focuses on how consumers understand sustainability within a fashion context and also how they practice fashion and infuse any ideas about sustainability into that fashion practice or, or perhaps. Um, but just to better understand what they're seeking from fashion as a sort of form of self-expression, um, identity um, and a leisure pursuit to better understand how sustainable fashion can be positioned for them. And um, in this segment, you know, we're looking at fashion footprint. Um, what is the environmental impact of fast fashion? Well, it's... it's um, the United Nations said a couple of years ago that the fashion industry had the second biggest carbon footprint of all industries of, on a global setting. So it, it's significant, I would say, that the, the fast fashion industry and, and the whole design, the whole the whole premise of fast fashion is that production is primarily for consumption's sake. So really, it's there to trigger sales um, through various marketing techniques that encourage consumers to buy often um, and impulsively as well. And Dr. Rich, in recent um, news, some fashion companies have come under the fire for their sustainability claims. And you know, there's been various other sort of companies that have done this in various other industries. You know, they've said that some of their, you know, for example, cars, let's take the example of emissions, um, you know, their cars don't produce such emissions, but when the realities come to light, uh, the whole situation is quite different. So what needs to be done to tackle this or these false claims? Well, the claims exist because consumers are more concerned about sustainability, particularly younger consumers who have been educated in sustainability ideas really from early days in school. Um, A lot of schools focus activities and knowledge around sustainability um, and the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. So we have this knowledge um, of consumers and it's often used by various businesses as a marketing technique to illustrate how they're addressing the problems of the climate crisis. But there's not specific information given about that. So it's all very vague, particularly with fast fashion. And going back to my previous point there, if the the purpose of fast fashion is to stimulate sales, then that whole very premise is unsustainable. Um, And so even if we're buying something that's made sustainably through organic cotton, then it's that's only part of the problem. The problem is still production and overproduction or overconsumption. And and often when we re- 
get rid of our fast fashion um, because fast fashion isn't made with particularly quality materials so it doesn't have any longevity we dispose of it to landfill where it contributes to emitting more carbon emissions or we put it into charity shops where it goes off to developing countries but then it displaces the local markets and often it ends up um, being burnt in landfill. Dr Rich, just to argue from yeah, the um, side of these companies is that you know if there is a, a market for a certain product and these companies know that there is a market for said product then surely they would want to fill that void um, and that's the case that we somewhat see right with these the segment that we're talking about which is sort of fast fashion you know, these companies know that these things will sell and hence you know, a consumer will buy um, and now, albeit that the outcome or the end result is, you know, something which is detrimental to the environment, but the fact that there's a market for it, surely that would be financially feasible, um, and hence that's why they're doing it. And there, for, for the foreseeable future, or currently, if anything, there aren't any repercussions for where those, you know, products end up. Absolutely, and I think that's why they are doing it because there is the market, and a, and a lot of them, you know, fast fashion brands say that they are being sustainable, um, within that whole fast fashion um, supply chain system. But with younger consumers being better versed in sustainability, they're often very sceptical about those kind of claims, and we see increasingly young people calling out those brands on social media um, because of their unsustainable practice and the fact that they're greenwashing their way to sustainability. We also see younger people taking control of those kind of markets. We've seen the rise of uh, businesses like Depop, online platforms where consumers sell clothes to other consumers, and that's part of the circular economy, and it's making better use of the resources we already have and maintaining them in circulation. So that sort of leads me on to the question of, what are some sustainable fashion habits that consumers can adopt in? Yes, I guess that comes back to the whole um, three R's that underpin sustainability of reuse, recycle um, and repair. Um, when we think about repair clothes, often we would think about getting rid of something because it's, it's in some way damaged. But the clothes can be repaired either by the consumer themselves or by taking them to a tailor on the high street. They can also be upcycled and we see increasingly on YouTube that people are making a design feature out of the repair um, and that there are steps included on how to do that. So, And also we can swap our clothes with one another, um, upcycle, turning materials into a, a, another garment. Um, it is about maintaining what we've got and keeping that going within circulation rather than sending it off to landfill and relying on new scarce resources uh, to, to acquire new goods. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Elaine Rich, for being with us this morning and um, helping us understand the topic in great uh, length and knowledge. Um, and hopefully we can speak in the uh, future very soon. That's great. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thanks so much. Now, that's Dr. Elaine Rich, um, who's a reader in fashion, marketing and sustainability at Glasgow Calendonian University, uh, a co-edited book, New Perspectives in Critical Marketing and Consumer Society. Yes, now there's a very good um, points that she raised there. And I think the the last question, which is <clears throat> I think the most pertinent one, was how you know we as consumers can help mm. you know, alleviate this this problem. 
Yeah, no, um, exactly. Um, this is one scenario. The other um, sort of um, yeah problem that I've come across or read across is, you know, our waste disposal mm-hmm. um, that we ship across to other countries, yes. you know, growing countries. So yes. what we're seeing is a trend of these first world countries effectively shifting their problems onto third world countries who already are engrossed in their own problems and issues. So, yeah, we certainly need to make sure that we um, you know deal with our own mm-hmm. problems um, and aren't sort of... Um, you know, driven by um, financial gains because that's what it is right now, right? Exactly, 100%. The thing is, there's this notion and, and it's quite a naive notion and it's a deliberate action that by a lot of countries, like you mentioned, first world countries who think that, oh, you know, by just pushing the, the problem aside to another country, you know, that it's out of our minds and out of mm. our, you know, you know out, of, out of our sight, so it's no longer a problem for us. Mm. The problem is we're a small global village. Whatever action we do here yeah. has an effect well, exactly. somewhere else around the world, yeah. you know, and, and it's, it's, it's really, I think, unfair for us to, like you said, push our problems and our waste and our mm. um, you know, unwanted items to other countries and then they say oh yeah we're we're helping them by giving them extra clothes yeah. I suppose you know it's 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 good you know when it's done with good intention but you know there has to be a long term plan as to you know how 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 much of an impact is it happening on their environment on their health you know and how much is it actually helping them financially yeah. um, I think the thing is you know if you look at fashion trends uh Going back probably to say oh, the sixties, obviously I wasn't around there. Yeah, but you no, see, of course not, Colossal. <laughs> you look very young for being like born you, in the sixties. Right, <laughs> but even like sixties, seventies, eighties. I always remember growing up. Right, um, I was like the eighties. Yeah, <laughs> okay, really, let's just say two thousands. Two thousands, right? <laughs> but also the thing was that that there was it was common practice that you would. You know, you, you you sort of take hand-me-downs from your older yeah. brother or your, your siblings, yeah. right? Uh, in my case, I had sisters, so I'm not going to take their clothes. Yeah. <laughs> but the point was that we we would keep the clothes and we would you know, sort of um, reuse yeah. them and repair them. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. and if there was just a small hole in trousers, you're not going to throw them away. But mm. I think what's really uh, sad is that there's I think a culture. The culture's <laughs> changed. That's emerging. The, brother, the mm. culture's mm. completely changed, yes. and it's change for the worse yes. um, everything's available online you mm. know people get inspired but nowadays influencers it's all about the influencers whatever they're wearing mm. you know they have a great influence hence the word influencer on mm. you know the younger generation yes um, and it's just a matter of you know this, this is what brings us back to the, the point of Islam mm. Islam lays a great emphasis on upbringing of children or the beard as yeah. it's referred to and you know from an Islamic point of view mm. making sure that children from a very young age yes. are aware of Islamic traditions yes. um, you know the um, the amount of discipline that Islam teaches is fundamental to the well-being both physically and mentally of a child um, especially in the societies that we live in mm. you know it's very easy uh, to be influenced um, negatively yes. um, and this is just one aspect you know make um, the fashion yes. the fast fashion should oh, we say of course of course no, that's the thing. That's, this is why I think it's 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 um, the the beauty in Islam where it teaches us moderation and not to go to extremes. And you know, if you if you just keep following fashion trends, it'll be a never-ending cycle. You know, if, mm. if, for example, you just always try to buy the next thing, the next, the next thing. thing yeah. I mean, let's look at uh, mobile phones. 
Yeah. There's so much wastage because these yeah. phones get damaged. Some of them are made so flimsy anyway, yeah. which, you know, which is the intent. And mm. th their whole sort of motive and incentive is to push out a new product so you know, that re revenue continues yes. and continues. Yeah. I was just looking at the um, illustrations of the iPhone 14. Yeah. It looks exactly the same as the <laughs> iPhone 13. See, yes. Um, but at the end of the day, Apple's one of the, one of the or if not the biggest mm. you know, companies in the world and they need to generate their income and the income is you know, a substantial amount of yes. income comes from the mm. iPhone sales. So you know, they can't seize mm. just because of environmental issues, can they or will they? Mm. So... That is the current climate, the climate of the world, mm. where unfortunately, but the reality is that money comes first, and money will always come first, mm. um, until and unless there's a dramatic repercussion somewhere in the world where you know, people actually switch on and um, change their priority list. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that, that one of the positive things that came out out of lockdown uh, was that people, I think, because they were at home. Uh, they 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 were looking for innovative ways of sort of generating income because some people didn't have any income coming in. Mm. So one of the things that um, Dr. Elaine Rich mentioned was that people start to go on these platforms, yeah. selling reselling clothes or unwanted items of clothing, realizing that you know you're at home and you realize yeah. just how much stuff. I mean, yeah. all of us have you yeah. know yeah. so many items that, exactly. that that can just be recycled. Yeah, and it's a healthy way to keep busy too. Um, in, in that situation if anything mm. uh, and plus you're doing kind of the environment a favour by yes. making sure that you know unwanted items mm. in general you know they could be excessive items of cooking or whatever it may be that are then you know repurposed reused um, you know so that other people can benefit from them exactly so it's a very important topic actually you know a topic which perhaps you know some of us may not have even considered mm. or given a second thought but um yeah do you know the thing is do you know we were talking about um fast fashion and of course you know looking at people's pockets and people's you know budgets it's it you know it seems to be uh you know th a thought you know the thought process is that it's easy to buy something cheap Mm. And it's going to look good. The problem with that is that sometimes these items are, are of low quality. Yeah. So then you end up inevitably throwing them away or putting them in the bin or recycling them or whatever you do with them. The point is that the quality is not good. So some of the, the ways that we can reduce our fashion, you know, uh, environmental impact is by actually buying less in the first place, mm. uh, by better clothes, better quality clothes, you know, buy good there's various companies out there yeah, yeah. that sell good quality good clothes company, yeah. and they will last they will last for, you know, and surprisingly they may be at the same price you know exactly um, but yeah that takes some research to do but you know 100% exactly and, uh, and also the other thing is we should like be sort of more considerate about thinking about things before throwing actually throwing them out you know mm. and there's this term that's been banded about for, for quite a while now which is throw away the throw away culture Mm. And very much so. This I've seen that like you know, growing up, that this is you know like you said, it's a different culture to when I was growing up. Yeah. You know, things are you know so easy to get hold of. You know, with with the likes of many sort of delivery companies. You know, yeah. you can just you, you can know, even get groceries delivered nowadays. It's you know, unbelievable to your doorstep. Yes, everything. Mm. And and the thing is, is like you know you see like certain companies, you might be thinking, oh, I'm gonna order something like say clothes for example 
Yeah. The packaging itself has an envir- you know, environmental yeah. you know, impact. All the things that we do. So the point is that we, we should really be conscious of our actions, you know? Yeah, And this is, this, is, this is really important. This is one of the beauties of Islam, that you, we are, are constantly asked or encouraged to self-analyze, you know, our actions, you know, whatever it is. So, of course, we, we care for the environment as well. 100%. And it comes back to the point, mm. what you mentioned earlier on about moderation. If anything's kept in moderation, um, and nothing of, you know, extravagance or, um, you know, to flaunt one's wealth, um, then these problems and mm. situations, I, I wouldn't say won't occur, but mm. would occur on a lesser scale. Um, and the percentages which we discussed about earlier of the emissions, the greenhouse gas mm. emissions, of being between 8 to 10% in the, you know, fashion industry would dramatically drop, mm. um, which is cu- which we currently, you know, need to hit that 2050 net zero goal. Mm. Um, and His Holiness, he also delivered a um, an address yes. in which um, he stated, and I quote, that beautified for men is the love of desired things. Women and children are and stored up uh, heaps of gold and silver and pastured horses and cattle and crop. And that is the provision of the present life, but it is with Allah that is an excellent home. And speaking of greed and self-indulgence, His Holiness stated that material acquisitions are temporary measures of this world and are contrary to the dignity of a believer. His objective should be the worship of God and service of creation, that we should adopt ways of contentment and simplicity so that we are enabled to be inclined towards Allah rather than consume ourselves in worldly affairs. Indeed, Allah's blessings are there to be enjoyed and benefited. However, it is the element of covetousness that tarnishes. Expounding the concept of contentment and sobriety, His Holiness related numerous ahadiths, which are sayings of the Holy Prophet. The Holy Prophet, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, Mm. enjoined that if one is righteous, one attains divine nearness, and if one is content, one acquires the highest level of thankfulness. And the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said that moderation is in expenditure is half economic, or rather half economy, mm. and one is obedient during difficult times and remains content as found in refuge. So, you know, the purpose really here from an Islamic point of view, mm. the message from an Islamic point of view is making sure that we aren't engulfed by the material acquisitions, um, and sort of attributes and the second element being of um, moderation um, being moderate in the way that we you know live our life here on earth exactly you know what's the one of the sort of beautiful things about Islam you know is like you know we can always get uh, help from, from the Holy Quran or the you know, for the teachings and the practice of the Holy Prophet with the blessings and blessings of Allah be upon him you know so there's always um, advice and guidance there. Mm. Um, we are fast approaching um, the eight o'clock news. After the eight o'clock news, we should be um, carrying on with this topic, and then uh, uh, we can go for a short break. Please join us after the eight o'clock news. And like I said, if you have any questions, comments, or, f- or feedback, <clears throat> please do give us a call. Uh, the number to ring is zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. Writings of the Promised Messiah, alayhi salam.
Allah, the Lord of glory, has also given me the glad tidings that some of the nobility and some of the kings will also join our group. He vouchsafed to me the revelation. I shall grant you blessing upon blessing, so much so that kings will seek blessings from your garments. Those who seek blessings in this manner will enter into the bath, the Pledge of Allegiance. Because of their entering into the bath, their governments will also practically belong to this community. Then I was shown those kings in a vision. They were riding upon horses and were not less than six or seven. I saw in a blessed dream a group of sincere believers and just and righteous kings, some of whom belong to this country, India, some to Arabia, some to Iran, some to Syria, some to Turkey, and some to other regions of which I am not aware. Thereafter, I was told by Allah the Almighty, these people will affirm your righteousness and will believe in you and will call down blessings upon you and will pray for you. I shall bestow great blessings upon you, so much so that kings will seek blessings from your garments and I will join them amongst your sincere followers. This is the dream that I saw, and this is the revelation that was vouchsafed to me by God the All-Knowing. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back, dear listeners. Um, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Thank you for joining us again uh, here at the Breakfast Show. So, as we were discussing before uh, the break, we were talking about fast fashion and fashion footprint and uh, the impact of. Um, clothes and disposing of clothes on the environment, the manufacture of clothes and uh, the sales of such items. Now, we were just talking about different uh, aspects of what Islam says about um, you know, different aspects of, of the, this um, sort of wastage. And in one particular verse regarding to pollution, it says it in the Holy Quran in chapter uh, Al-Rub verse 42, corruption has appeared on land and see because of what men's hands have wrought, that he may make them taste the fruit of some of their doings, so that they may turn back from evil. You know, this is so important, because when you look at plastics, for example, and how just silly people are being with disposing of plastics, mm. you know, never mind just plastic, other things, yeah. into the sea. So the wildlife of the sea, you know, the, the sea life, whatever the term is mm. you know, getting affected and that's having a knock-on effect because yeah. we end up ultimately consuming consuming said yeah, yeah you know plastics. Uh, marine life and it's for, that's a, such an important mm. um, point that you raised brother because mm. just a couple of days ago I was reading that you know that's 
um, pollution which mm. we you know knowingly or unknowingly you know pollute mm. um, does indeed end up in the bellies of you know these fish and ultimately we eat those fish so yes you know mm. there are you know particles of plastic that we consume on a daily basis without even knowing so true. Um, so yeah it's yeah. everywhere you look sometimes it feels as if that you know just darkness everywhere um, yes. darkness in the sense that there's so many bad things happening but um you know there are good things too. Not not all doom and gloom on a Monday morning. Um, so <laughs> there's there's solutions to all these. There's solutions to all of these things because all of these things are really created by our own uh, yes. extravagance. Yes, um, and not living within the, you know, our means. So yeah, there there are those solutions, and inshallah, you know, God willing. Yeah. Slowly, steadily, we'll get out exactly. these issues. Exactly, and the thing is, like you said, you know, it's it's, it's not wrong. I mean, if you worked and studied hard enough, and you 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 know you are you have wealth, uh, I, I love that Almighty said that's not a problem. You know, you you earned it. You've you deserve, and this is one of the bounties of Allah Almighty that He rewards you with certain things. You're allowed to have that, but the, mm. the point is that whether you're rich, poor, middle class, working class, yeah. but is the the way you deal with things, and then you know the moderation, not wasting things and being grateful for all these things yeah. um i would just wanted to play an audio clip uh brother yeah. uh this is a discussion about some uh, environmental factors and uh, this uh, is from a program called faith matters well allah the almighty is the creator of all the creator of the universe is more than one is is the master and that he has created all for is for our benefit and this is what he mentions in the holy quran that all that has been created has been created created for man. And obviously something that has been gifted to us, whenever someone gives a gift to a person, that person is expected obviously to cherish it if he loves that person and to look after it and, and tries to maintain it in the condition that was given to him. This is the gift that has been given to us. So the universe is a gift that Allah the Almighty actually has given to the human race as such and everything that has been put in it has been put in it with a specific purpose. Everything that God has created has been created with purpose and nothing is without purpose and that is for the benefit of man who is the greatest of the God's creation. So this planet is, is, uh, is the place of our abode in this life and it is the duty of every man to be able to look after and cherish that planet and to make sure that the balance that God has created in the, in, in the universe is not disturbed in any, in any respect. And that brings you to the question of uh, the environment and how man looks after the environment. And this is something that we know that uh, is now fully researched as how man destroys the environment and what needs to be done to make sure that we are not uh, harming the in environment or something. In Surah Rahman, Allah says, "Ashamsu wal kamaru bihusban, wa najmu wa shajaru yasjudan, wa sama arafa aha wa wada al mizan." So you know, God is pointing out to us that the sun and the moon run their courses according to their fixed times, and the stemless plants and the trees submit to Him. Even the tiniest of stemless plants that they are submit to God Almighty as as the Creator. The heaven He has raised high above and set up as a measure that you may not transgress. This is the important thing, that you must not transgress the measure. Mm -hmm. And this is Allah, the Almighty pointing out to us that the universe, in fact, has been created with good measure and man must not do anything that will 
upset that measure, upset that balance. So it is our responsibility. Each individual person, each society, each community has this responsibility of looking around them and see how one must pay due regard, due attention to looking after the environment as such. And we know that there are many things that we are aware of now uh, which man must do in order to make sure that yes, he uses the uh, uh, universe, the world as has been given to him and takes benefit of all that has been provided by God Almighty, but he does not misuse that to that degree. We talk about uh, deforestations, obviously, in parts of the world where trees have been cut down, you know, on a scale and all the issues that they have caused uh, in those parts and other parts is something that we are well, well aware of. The Holy Prophet ﷺ, you know, he discouraged uh, Muslims that when you go to war, when you conquer, you should not cut down trees, fruit-bearing trees. And you know, that was given 1400 years ago. And now man is now realizing the importance of maintaining this balance by not cutting down trees unwantedly. And he gave uh, uh, advice on a Muslim that he, when he plants a tree, he looks after it, it bears fruit, birds eat of it, then that Muslim is rewarded for that good act that he has done. And that actually shows us the actual life cycle of, of different, uh, different uh, creatures who will benefit from that one act of that one person. Then we have wastage, you know, this is an, or water wastage. Water is an essential part of this universe that we have, and it's an essential part of our life. And this is something that we have always to look after. So wastage of water is something that obviously one needs to be well aware of so that it does not create problems in, in that nature. So man as an individual has been given the custodianship of this planet and it is his responsibility and the Holy Prophet Sallallahu 1400 years ago has pointed these out to us and it is our responsibility to make sure that we are abiding by the true nature and teachings of Islam. Unfortunately, we see some events in recent past in, in certain parts of the world where so-called Muslims actually have disregarded all these teachings not in just terms of the religion of Islam and the practices of Islam, but also with regard to the environment and are damaging the environment in that respect. So that is something that we all need to be wary of, that uh, it is a, a, a gift from God, a gift that we must cherish and continue to uh, seek the benefits and rewards of that in, environment. Some very interesting points that are laid out there, you know, especially about the wastage of uh, water, uh, cutting down of trees. and. This is one of the things I think which is makes me sort of proud to be a Muslim and happily Muslim that we, you know, from a young age we've been taught to value things, be grateful for things and, and we've you know, our community goes out, does a lot of tree planting, you know, does lots of things to uh, help b make the situation better for everyone, not just for ourselves. You know? yeah. In lots of uh, countries around the world where there's no water wells, you know, the, the communities actively um, you know helping people to to you know, create water worlds yeah, yeah. and also yeah. do other things so I'm talking about in particular uh, the NGO yeah. one of the charities uh, that's known as Humanity First they've been around the world you know digging water wells repairing water wells uh, giving towns and cities villages electricity uh, educating people people providing people with health care 
you know, free, free of charge. Yeah, you know? and, and disaster relief. Yeah. And disaster relief, of course, yeah. that's another big thing as well. And this is the thing. This I think when we value things and we we try and um, uh, you know appreciate the value of things, you know, because you know by the grace of Allah Almighty, we just open a tap here and you know get running water, yeah. clean running water, which you can actually drink. Yeah. Um, although some people wouldn't recommend it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, you see, you know, still now, you know, we're in 2022, and we shouldn't be in this situation where where we've got so much wealth and in this country that. Unfortunately, you know, it's not been you know, distributed evenly. Mm. This is what the beauty of Islam is that whatever you have, you, yeah. you, know, you share it. You share you know? it, exactly. And, you know, you're banging on the point of Islam being a religion which addresses these environmental issues. Yes. And yeah. it's because, you know, and we've said this before on various occasions, Islam is more than just a religion, it's a way of life. It's in sync mm. with the rhythm of nature. Um, and you know wherever nature dictates you know or rather whatever the religion of Islam dictates mm. it's always going to be in accordance with the rhythms of nature and that's the beauty of Islam you won't find anything contrary to what we already know yes. and understand yes. and if anything Islam enhances our understanding of you know what there is um, that we are yet to discover so you know, I dare I say there are any, if any, mm. um, other religions which you know even go as far as to address these environmental issues or issues regarding the environment in general. Because, you know, as we've mentioned, Islam is a religion which uh, addresses and will continue to address an array of potential um, issues that could occur because of the doings of human beings. Definitely. Uh, I think that, that, very, uh, that was very nicely um, run, you know, rounded up by uh, this particular segment, Imam uh, Thank you for that. Um, we shall be taking a very short break and then we shall be discussing our next topic, um, which is regarded, uh, so in relation to alcoholism. Mm -hmm. So uh, please join us after this very short break. Allah, Allah. You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. And welcome back to The Breakfast Show here at The Voice of Islam. So just before the quick break, we very quickly introduced um, the second segment. And the second segment being around the uh, deaths or the rise in the deaths of those people that consume alcohol. And there's a report here by the BBC um, which is predicting a rise in alcohol-related deaths from the pandemic drinking. And the survey suggests that heavy drinkers increased the alcohol intake during the pandemic, while light and moderate drinkers decreased the alcohol consumption. The forecasters warned that heavy home drinking during the pandemic may have set habits that will lead to rises in alcohol-related deaths and illnesses in England. And it's suggested that despite the efforts of people cutting back to pre-pandemic alcohol intake levels, there could be around 1,900 extra deaths within two decades. 
And so what are the findings from the study? Well, the alarming findings come from two separate modeling studies, one by the Institution or Institute of Alcohol Studies and another by the University of Sheffield. The BBC article reports that both agree there could be a high toll of alcohol-related disease, premature deaths and hospital admissions, costing the NHS billions. Colin Angus, who led the University of Sheffield study, said, even in our best-case scenario, where drinking behaviour returns to pre-pandemic levels in 2022, we estimate an additional 42,677 alcohol-attributable hospital admissions and around 1,900 deaths over 20 years. These figures highlight that the pandemic's impact on our drinking behaviour is likely to cast long shadow on our health and paint a worrying picture at a time when NHS services are already under huge pressures due to treatment backlogs. IAS Head of Research Dr Sandia Boniface said the pandemic hasn't been bad for alcohol harm. Deaths from alcohol have reached record levels and inequalities have widened. Our results look ahead to the longer-term health impacts of recent changes in drinking patterns. The increases in alcohol harm lives lost and cost to the ranchers projected in our own study are not invincible. We lack an alcohol strategy and progress on alcohol harm has been limited in recent years in England. This research should act as a wake-up call to take alcohol harm seriously as part of recovery planning from the pandemic. So, in essence, these figures highlight that the pandemic's impact on our drinking behaviour is likely to cast a long shadow on our health and painting a worrying picture at a time when NHS services are already under huge pressure due to the treatment backlogs. So it's very alarming, um, very sad also mm. um, that on the one hand we have those people that you know have turned towards alcohol mm. and on the other the solution being, mm. well, a very tough one because the only solution here is those people that are ad- admitted to hospital mm are struggling to get into hospital because of the backlogs. Yes. Um, and that's not only these people that are suffering with alcohol, that's people with, you know, various other illnesses that are struggling to get appointments in oh, the yes. first place. Yes. Um, because of the backlogs, as we mentioned. Definitely. I think the thing also with, um, unfortunate, it's unfortunate that in the pandemic, there's obviously, there's a lot of positive, but there's, you know, lots of negatives as well. And, and unfortunately, People, you know, have turned to certain, you know, b- bad habits and picked up new habits that they yeah. were doing. I'm talking, <laughs> I, know, I, I you know, everyone, I think, you know, it was very sort of tough to be locked down. Yeah, you know, no, definitely. You know. it, it takes a uh, mental toll on, mm. you know, any sort of individual, regardless of how stable or mm. robust they may, you know, deem themselves to be. And obviously we cannot mm. relate because, you know, say, uh, a core principle within Islam is to, um, you know, prohibit mm. or indeed um, not go near alcohol. Yes. But um, you know, for those for those other people that do, um, you know, they've obviously done it so they can you know mm. um, sort of hide away the uh, the difficulties that the pandemic brought. Exactly, um, drown themselves in alcohol. That's it, hundred percent. And I think what 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 is common uh, and it's common knowledge is that you know you don't have to be a scientist or a doctor or a specialist we all know that this is draining the resources of the NHS because you have a lot of uh, calls out for, for drug related issues 
or alcohol related issues I should say where um, you know someone has you know injured themselves they've fallen at home or in the street or you know wherever or, yeah or a pub or club or wherever yeah. they've been over consumed alcohol they're drunk they've fallen they injured themselves and alcohol issues cause such a problem I have um, uh, by the grace of Allah the opportunity to work in the hospital mm. but you see the amount of people coming in A&E that are inebriated are drunk and, and, and what's sad is that sometimes you know you know, we see that the NHS doctors and nurses do such a hard work, mm. you know, hard, hard job looking after, you know, and taking care of us, you know, before pandemic, during the pandemic, yeah. and even on even now, and they, you know, they're working in very, very sort of hard situations. And you see, unfortunately, what happens is when people are not in control of their senses, they attack mm. these people that yeah. are trying to help them. So yeah. you get nurses, doctors, you know, people in hospitals being attacked yeah. verbally, physically. Yeah. And also, it's, it's sometimes the para paramedics are going to pick up people or going to see them, and then they're getting attacked. They they be actually physically yeah. attacked, spat upon, you know, you know whatever you know uh, happens to them. And the knock-on effect is that other other emergencies are not being dealt with because, because these, yeah. yeah. And then what happens is also you see sort of repeat offenders, mm. you know. Again and again and again, and then yeah. I've seen it in working in social care. Yeah, you see, unfortunately, people that have been prone to drinking a lot of alcoholism has it has such a bad effect on their their body, mm. and and not just the body, their mind. You know, they they they, they yeah. forget things, they become you know irritable and yeah. other things. Not that you know, other things don't contribute, but this sort of speeds factor. up the process. Yeah. You know, and it it goes back to what we were saying earlier mm. on. Um, you know. These companies that produce alcohol know, mm. you know, the uh, the harms and yes. effects of alcohol. Yes. Um, and let's just say that there's a percentage or a portion of people mm. that abuse alcohol. Right. And yet, you know, there's no way of sort of uh, making sure that, you know, those people um, have a cap or a limit. Mm. There's absolutely no way they, they can do that. And so the incentive here is to, again, make money you mm. know, and make it in great numbers. And the effects it has on other people consuming is, mm. you know, second or none, really. And it's a shame because, you know, the, the burden on both the NHS, on, you know, in general, mm. uh, the councils, that they have to sort of clear up or, or sort of support those people yes. that, yes. you know, have unfortunately self-inflicted, mm. mind you, this is, uh, which is a shame. And mm. hence the reason why Islam from day one you know, a banned alcohol from the religion of Islam. Mm. You know, absolutely um, yes. um, ripped it out of um, any form of practicing this religion. And when the command was given by the Holy Prophet that you know alcohol is uh, forbidden within the religion, mm. you know, some companions heard of this, heard of whisperings of this, yes. and never even questioned whether it was true or false. Yes. And they heard and they obeyed. Yes. And it's narrated that in the streets were full of alcohol that's great. Um, because yes. they had been disposed upon. Yes. So that's why from you know, the first, the very first day um, within the religion of Islam, you know, the negative effects, um, you know, were people were aware of them, mm. um, and they outweigh the positive because the Quran, you know, acknowledges that there are some good attributes to alcohol, but the negative ones they they, they outweigh them by so much that. You know, mm -hmm. There is no positivity left within 
this product um, and the, you know, we've got huge numbers in front of us you know 18,700 cases of liver failure mm. you know 1,000 cases of liver cancer uh, which are to be projected mm. uh, or a projected number by 2040 mm. um, and you know an estimated um, 8,000 additional deaths from alcohol related liver disease mm. so it's um, I think it's just part of the culture mm. in some parts of the world um, and this culture is ruining both the individual, the families mm. the relationships um, so much more exactly and, and everybody knows mm. of you know the detrimental effects alcohol possesses but yet they continue to drink and drink and drink um, yeah. it's um, unfathomable really because these nations mm. that promote mm. um, this sort of culture mm are deemed as educational and developing or rather developed mm. and yet on the other hand you know you'll see those same knowledgeable and developed individuals or rather nations you yeah. know drunk on the side of the street on a Friday night or Saturday night or wherever it may be exactly and the other thing the whole thing <coughs> we mentioned again and again in Islam is that Islam teaches us about moderation you know, do things you know within limits but when it comes to alcohol it's a it's complete you know, mm. it's a complete no-go area, and and the thing is that this topic is entitled, you know, alcohol-related deaths on the rise, but you know, this is like what we were saying is due to like you know um, the pandemic, you know, that yeah. had a big effect, yeah. big impact on, uh, and I think it's important to th- and see and delve into why alcohol consumption has increased during the pandemic. You know, some of the research shows that those experiencing stress often report increased alcohol um, consumption and misuse when individuals experience periods of economic or psychological stress they often consume more alcohol resulting in increased symptoms of alcohol abuse and alcohol dependence for example researchers found that individuals in china who were quarantined or worked in high risk locations during the 2003 um, sars epidemic were more likely to use alcohol as a coping mechanism. Uh, the positive correlation in the rise in alcohol intake during the COVID-19 pandemic is evident in a research study conducted on a sample of US adults over 21 years in May 2020. So it was evident that alcohol use in the US is a public health problem that appears to have worsened since the onset of COVID-19 and adults during COVID-19 reported high levels of alcohol consumption uh, with those who reported high levels uh, of impact from COVID-19 reporting significantly more alcohol than participants who were uh, not as impacted by COVID-19. A one-year increase in alcohol consumption in the US during COVID-19 uh, pandemic is estimated to cause 8,000 additional deaths from alcohol-related liver disease. <clears throat> uh, so 18,700 cases of liver failure, like you mentioned, and 1,000 cases of liver cancer by 2040. A sustained increase <clears throat> excuse me, in alcohol consumption uh, for more than one year could result in 19 to 35% additional mortality. And again, like we mentioned some of the effects of alcohol, the short <clears throat> and long-term effects. Uh, there's, like we mentioned, there's risk of injuries, uh, such as motor vehicle crashes, falls, drownings, and burnings, uh, increased violence, you know, uh, suicide, yeah. mm. assault, you know, in, you know, other things, you know, domestic, domestic violence, abuse, exactly, yeah. exactly, you know, and uh, 
There's also, um, unfortunately, it can cause mis- miscarriage, you know, mm, yeah. and stillbirth. There was alcohol poisoning. So medical evidence that re- uh, results from high blood alcohol levels. And the, some of the uh, sort of long-term risk includes, uh, like you said, high blood pressure, heart disease, stroke, liver disease, and digestive problems. Uh, learning and memory problems, including dementia and poor school performance. Mental health problems, including depression and anxiety. And this is the thing, you know, people say to you, why is there a rise in people with mental health issues? Why is there a rise in depression and anxiety? And this is one of the, th- one of the issues. Yeah, these are mm. most definitely one of the contributing factors, but not the in- in- entire picture. But um, it's, you know, it's... and. Yeah, the um, the reality also is that there's also a great amount of people underage who are drinking mm. um, because they see the elders drinking and they want to adopt that culture as soon as possible. Definitely. And this leads us on to what we touched slightly um, earlier on is why is alcohol prohibited in Islam? So the ancient custom of alcohol consumption is deeply woven into the fabric of modern day society, which we all know. And despite being consumed by almost two billion people worldwide, mm. of whom at least 76.3 million, 76.3 million mm. suffer an alcohol-related disorder. Alcohol is perceived as just another routine of daily life. Statistics show that the devastating impact of alcohol consumption on human civilization is no myth and has become increasingly apparent as society continuously fails in its attempt to control drinking. Now, the Holy Quran categorically forbids the consumption of alcohol. And in order to completely eradicate the consumption of alcohol, the Arab mentality that it was acceptable was first changed by the Quranic teachings. And thus, everything else followed as a natural consequence of this change in attitude. Unlike the abolishment of slavery, where slaves were not only freed, but were fully integrated into the Islamic society and seen as intellectual equals, Islam's teachings regarding alcohol struck at the very root of the problem and changed perceptions first. Allah first discouraged the believers um, from drinking wine or drawing attention to the fact that there was greater evil than benefit in intoxicants. That's in chapter 2, verse 220, which states that they ask thee concerning wine and the game of hazard, i.e. gambling, and say, in both there is great sin and also some advantages for men, but their sin is greater than their advantage. So, you know, this is what we are leading to earlier on, that you know, the Holy Quran does indeed acknowledge that there are some advantages to alcohol in terms of medicinal. Yes. Um, but their sin is greater than their advantage. And so the ne- next part was that the Muslims were forbidden to pray whilst intoxicated. Yes. So in chapter 4, verse 44, the United States, O ye who believe, approach not prayer when you are not in full possession of your senses, until you know what you say. Now, this may seem as if, you know, people are allowed to mm. um, be intoxicated, but that is certainly not the case. No. Um, and the fact that, you know, there are five prayers spread throughout the day mm. for Muslims, um, you know, it's encouraged that sincere Muslims to abandon the habits of, um, or, or certainly to make sure that they are, you know, in uh, rather aware of all their senses. Um, and another interpretation of this verse is that you know the early morning prayer mm. 
when we just wake up mm. uh, we're not fully in our senses you yeah. know so is to make sure you know, this is what this verse is alluding to, to make sure that we are fully aware mm. so we um, you know perform the ablution we are aware of what we are seeing and by no means is this verse a acknowledgement of muslims being able to yes. being intoxicated definitely uh, I'm glad to say that we are joined with our next guest uh, for this morning's show. We have on the line with us Justine Murray. Uh, Justine Justina Murray is the Chief Executive Officer of Scottish Families Affected by Alcohol and Drugs. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Thank you, good morning. Good morning, thank you for joining us this morning, uh, Justina. So could you please give a brief uh, introduction of Scottish Families and why and when it began? Yes, so Scottish Families has been around since 2003, so we're having our 20th anniversary next year. And it was set up by a group of family members themselves. In fact, it was a group of mums at the time who came together to support each other because they were all affected um, by their son's substance use and they wanted to campaign for recognition. So originally Scottish Families was just around um, families affected by drugs and then it extended to include alcohol in 2013. Thank you. And why is there such an emphasis uh, placed on the role of families as opposed to individuals, Justina? Well, our role is to support the affected family members. We don't work directly with people using alcohol or drugs themselves. And that's because, you know, we know that the whole family is affected when there's alcohol harm um, within the household. So that includes like children and young people and adult family members, but also other people within the social network. So we take a very broad view of family. It's really anybody who's concerned about somebody, somebody else's alcohol or drug use. So, you know, we know that parents are affected and young people and um, you know, young children up to siblings and partners and even your friends and neighbours and work colleagues. And so it's so important that we support all of those people around the person using substances because so much focus is, is put by, by services on the individual using using alcohol or drugs. Do you know, what type of support um, does Scottish families uh, offer these families that are unfortunately, you know, going through... Um, the effects of alcohol abuse and drug abuse? Yes, well, most families come to us, first of all, through our national helpline in Scotland. So that's available free to anybody who lives in Scotland who's concerned about somebody else. And um, the main thing that we start with is really listening to family members because they really don't feel heard. They're, They're a very hidden group of people. And so when we listen to them, often their first concern is getting support for their loved one you know I want to get my partner into rehab I want to get my son into you know a treatment service and it's only when we really begin to talk with them that we say and how are you and they've never actually thought about themselves in all of this picture before because you know they're spending so much time focusing on their loved one so when we have that conversation with them, we can offer them lots and lots of support. We can signpost them to local family support services in their own community, if there are any, and that's a whole other discussion about the lack of family support. Um, we can also offer them one-to-one support through our national services, or we also have some local family support services in some parts of Scotland. So there's lots of things we can do to work with families to help them understand what's going on, to really 
you know, they, they spent a lot of time maybe ag- ignoring the addiction in the family or, or downplaying it. So we really unpack all of that and, and help them learn some different ways of being within the family, um, you know, setting some clear boundaries for their loved one, taking some time for themselves and looking after themselves. Um, and, you know, there's lots and lots of things that can change for families and improve their lives, even if their loved one still continues to use alcohol and drugs in the same way. During the lockdown, you know, the pubs and bars were um, you know, closed because of the restrictions and you know, it's said that there was cheaper alcohol sold at supermarkets. Was there an, an increase of alcohol consumed at home? Um, and if so, how were Scottish families able to support or offer help during the pandemic, during the midst of um, the, the rise in alcohol abuse? Yeah, we really saw a massive impact and harm during the um, the COVID pandemic. And I think what's really concerning is we're not really seeing that returning to any pre-pandemic level, where, of course, even then, thousands and thousands of families were being harmed um, through alcohol. So what we found during the pandemic is there were existing families who needed more support because things were getting worse for them. And also we had new families coming forward for support who were concerned for the first time. And in both of those situations, what was happening was there was more substance use um, happening. And, you know, that's been proven through other research and so on. But also there was higher harm. So the substance use, including alcohol use, obviously, was more likely to be happening in the home because, as you say, pubs and clubs and so on were closed um, and there were stay-at-home rules. So, So consumption had moved into the home and the family members were more likely to be there when that was happening because they they weren't going out and about in their normal lives. And also all the things that normally families would do to promote their own well-being and to protect their own well-being, whether that's going to work or to school or college or meeting friends for a coffee or going for a walk, going to the gym, you know, all of those sort of things were taken away. So we just found like families were kind of all stuck in the house together with alcohol and drug use increasing. Um, and, you know, it was this real sort of pressure cooker environment. So... I think the main thing we did for families is we were there every day. So a lot of services became unavailable during the pandemic and we were available every day. Um, and also we we did, um, you know, doorstop, doorstep drop-offs of well-being packs. So people had, you know, maybe some treats or some self-care um, things. We also moved all of our support online overnight, basically. So we ran a lot of different activities and events online that people could link in with. Um, And in fact, a lot of that online provision has continued because for some families, they're like, you know, we really like this. We like connecting in from our homes that we can kind of organise it more easily. Um, And they've made some really great friendships that way. So, you know, I I think the main thing we were were able to offer by way of help was just to to keep keep on doing what we were doing um, and making sure families could reach us easily. Um, So, you know, acknowledging uh, needing help is half the battle, would you say, um, you know, you said you, you know, had people contact you, but was there an increase in people reaching out for help? And if so, what new measures um, have you got in place? Yes, yeah, so we, we did have an increase um, in demand for our helpline and other services. And in fact, as I said, that's continued. So looking at our helpline last year, every month, we still had 100 more contacts on our helpline than before the pandemic. So mm. we're still seeing that, that increased demand um, and, and you know, we've just continued, as I said, with the same measures we introduced during the pandemic. 
we've con- continued to offer virtual support as well as returning to some in- in-person support. Um, and also we found during the pandemic we had a lot more contact from individuals concerned about their own use as well who were unable to reach their own services. So, you know, that has fallen away a bit as, as treatment services have begun to reopen but, you know, we we do still get some contacts from people who are concerned about their own alcohol use who can't can't find out, you know, what support is in place for them or they're having problems reaching it. And just lastly, uh, Justina, where do you think the, the numbers are projected to go now? I mean, what are your concerns about well, the current figures, number one, and um, the amount of deaths related to alcohol consumption? And you know the projected figures uh, i know you mentioned earlier on that perhaps you know these re- the, the numbers haven't uh, dropped since you know the rise during the pandemic um but moving on now what are your thoughts well we've got a lot of concerns about which way the alcohol death um statistics are going so last year in scotland 1245 people lost their lives so that's 1245 families who've become bereaved through alcohol um and that you know for every single year of the last 20 years bar one over a thousand people have died through alcohol so i mean really really concerning figures Mm -hmm. and we're just not really seeing anything about those figures reducing um you know We've seen a big investment in Scotland in looking at drug deaths and drug harm. We have a minister for drug policy and £250 million of money behind behind that post. But in terms of alcohol harm, we're seeing nothing like that same sort of urgency. And I think it's just because in Scotland, alcohol is so endemic. You know, it's absolutely everywhere. Yeah. And it's just a bit closer to home for people maybe um, seeing it in, in the same way as drug harm. Do you think it can be regulated? For example, I mean, this is just me thinking out loud. Is there a chance that those people that um, have perhaps gone to hospital because or are known to have alcohol abuse issues, um, if they, you know, whenever they want to buy some alcohol, there's a system in place whereby, you know, um, the person selling the alcohol prevents them um, or, or something, you know, of the sort whereby you know, these lives, you know, thousands of lives are saved. You know, what is a feasible solution or is there even a feasible solution to prevent so many people losing their lives? I think there's there's not one feasible solution, but there's a lot of evidence around a number of solutions. And what families tell us is there's lots and lots of missed opportunities to support their loved one. So you'd mentioned like people going into hospital. So routinely, you know, people who are using alcohol problematically will end up in accident and emergency. They'll end up being admitted to hospital, but there's no follow up. You know, nothing happens after that to to link them into support. And in terms of what's happening out out in the alcohol market, if you like, um, Scotland already has a minimum unit price for alcohol of 50 pence. But by the time that was actually introduced, the value of that minimum unit price had kind of reduced due to inflation. Um, So we're calling for that price to be increased to 65 pence. Um, And there's so much that can happen around marketing, around availability. You know, um, our friends at Alcohol Focus Scotland describe alcohol as like a universal wallpaper in Scotland. It's just everywhere all of the time, you know, everywhere you look, but it's kind of in the background, you sort of forget it's there. So we really want to to see action on price and availability of alcohol and marketing, as well as improvements to treatment and care and support services. All of these things need to happen together for people who are using alcohol harmfully and for their families 
to get the support that they need. 100%. Well, Justina Murray, thank you so much for being with us this morning and um, hopefully you can speak in the near future very soon. Um, and yeah, once again, thanks for sharing your insight and knowledge with us. Thank you. Thanks so much. Justina Murray, CEO of Scottish Families Affected by Alcohol and Drugs. Um, yeah, so really, um, you know, the only solution that we can sort of think of, um, you know, I can't believe it, more than a thousand deaths, you know, alcohol-related deaths in Scotland alone. You know, that's probably devastated so many families. Um, and, you know, the, the most hurting part of it is that it's something which could be avoidable. Yes. You know, yeah. it's... Um, it's something which number one is self-inflicted and number two which is you know definitely avoidable and you know the British public um, or, or the part of the British public mm. which consumes alcohol um, will definitely be reluctant in banning it mm. um, not only for you know the monetary and the financial gains mm-hmm. that it, or it contributes towards the economy mm. but um because of the way that the culture is set, you know, in its ways. Um, and regardless of how many people die, mm. um, you know, as harsh of a statement this is, you know, they will never ban alcohol. Do you know, the, th- the, the thing is, the irony is that, <clears throat> uh, it, although that you know, it has a negative effect, the biggest money-making Maker. businesses in the world are drugs, alcohol, and weapons, you know, yeah. war. Yeah. So... There you have it. Yes, you know, but it's it's great work that um, you know Justina. Oh yeah, an organisation are doing, and yeah. uh, and it's uh, it's amazing, and it's really good because they they've taken a step back and looked at the bigger picture, yeah. not just the individual, the, the whole family, and how it affects the whole family. So you know, hats off to her and a great work. It's so true, um, you know, because the person is connected, you know, with mm. so many people, you know, the family, the, um, parents, children, you know, yeah. extended family. And when a person passes away, uh, it doesn't just simply affect uh, those people that are, you know, in its close circle, but mm. it, it extends, and you know, that's a that's a huge um, aspect of a person or or, or a individual which mm. will you know will never come back, which will be hugely missed, and it's very sad that you know the problem that led that person to pass away could have been avoidable, could have been. Um, um, you know, offset by mm. tr- um, you know banning this substance or having some form of regulation, mm. you know, which could prevent so the, many deaths. I, exactly, I really like what you said there because banning it. See, this this goes back to what Islam says. Mm. Islam says rather than finding a cure, prevention is better than cure. Yeah. So this is why we know we 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 don't consume. But mm. to elaborate further on why we don't consume alcohol, I have a short audio clip which was a uh, discourse by the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed, may Allah have mercy on him, and this is what he had to say. Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed, may Allah have mercy on him, discusses the same issue during a question and answer session when a doctor asked him why Islam forbids the drinking of alcohol. Well, I think you should have told me better than I should have told you. <laughs> you belong to a society given up to drinking. And you should know the negative points of this uh, free access to alcohol by society, which suffers from so many evils concomitant to this habit. If you study the analysis made by some police investigators into the reasons of crime, the root causes of crime, You'll be surprised to find 
that one single root cause which is predominantly prevalent is, is drinking. And it has its bad effects, sometimes so very obviously visible, sometimes it has invisible bad effects, which somehow takes the peace away from the society, it makes, leaves the society restless. In so many ways, we can study the, uh, the evil effects of alcohol. For instance, first of all, the wastage of money involved is huge. Once I was surprised to discover that the money spent on el drinking of alcohol, all sorts, in one day in Britain, if diverted to the then dying Sudan of hunger, would be sufficient to maintain their food requirements for one year. I was astounded. This habit of drowning oneself in alcohol is given the new, has resulted in the new generation of drug addiction. You see, this is human psyche. You want things for certain kicks and for creating an artificial atmosphere around you which can lift you from the hard realities of life which are not so pleasing. So one means of forgetfulness, self-forgetfulness, is sometimes no longer effective. There are other means which gradually creep into your daily experiences and which make you forgetful of the world around but also give the added illusion that you are flying high in the celestial spaces and enjoying this lifted sense of lightness and hovering around the space. This is what the drugs do generally. So, the drug addiction results in daily crimes of mugging, of housebreaking. The youth which has got addicted, they must somehow fulfill the craving for these things. And the whole society becomes restless, unsafe. You're listening to the Voice of Islam radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. So those were the wise words of His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmad, the fourth caliph of the Ahmadi Muslim community. May Allah have mercy on him. And the, his wise words, um, you know, regarding the consumption of alcohol and why it is prohibited in Islam. Mm. Uh, so you know, there, there's, there's, this is, you know, people say, you know, Islam, and I, I always repeat myself, and I will repeat myself again and again because, you know, I, I, I'm proud to be Muslim. In effect, in effect in the fact that there's so much guidance out there for every aspect of your life mm. you know it's, it's, it's honestly it's, it's a foolproof <laughs> method you know yeah. there's so many things aspect, it followed because it you know follow, exactly uh, there are Muslims that drink unfortunately which is a reality mm. um, and you know there are Islamic nations mm. which you know openly sell alcohol which mm. you know shouldn't be the case but mm. um, if adhere to um, and if you know follow to the letter yes then Islam will um, you know, provide a great amount of 
um, peace because mm. in essence that's what Islam is and peace nowadays is a very rare commodity you know the, the peace of mind and the peace of you know our body and our soul um, and that's what you know um, people most certainly you know wish they could have um, mm. and you know Islam is that uh, is that bridge which grants uh, peace and stability uh, and all of the above um, in terms of living a very healthy, very um, sustainable and indeed a very purposeful life. Um, and, you know, it's un- very unfortunate, you know, the, the segment at hand yes. where people have turned towards alcohol in you know, dire situations, mm. you know, where the whole world really was engulfed in um you know issues and troubles because of the pandemic but um you know it's it's very sad for these companies that, you know that are selling alcohol mm-hmm. in some ways you know dare i say they are opportunists really because mm-hmm. you know they're, they're preying on you know knowingly or unknowingly um on those people that have these um you know these issues where they abuse alcohol and you know it goes beyond There's so many other avenues gambling being a huge one you know um which coincides with the verse that we quoted earlier, you know, where alcohol and gambling have been mentioned in in, mm. in the same verse yes. because the both are linked. Very true. Um, and both are detrimental to not only one's financial position, but also one's life in general. Um, so, yeah. Excellent. Uh, thank you, uh, Imam Mutara. It's been a pleasure presenting with you this morning, and I, I hope our listeners... Uh, I've enjoyed the show. Uh, I just want to say thank you to all our guests who come on the show this morning. Our researcher, Sima Brahman, uh, researcher, Ruxana Nasir Haroon, uh, sorry, our producer, Sima Brahman, and of course, Mr. Akib in tech support. Until the next show, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.